Well, good morning again, everyone. I just want to welcome you to our church for those of you who are joining us a little bit later today. And as we just move forward um, in, our, in our sermon series spiritual, titled The Spiritual Harvest, uh, we're going to continue our deep dive into the fruits of the spirits um, that are promised to us as we continue to follow our Lord. Now, last week, we, we looked at, I think, one of the two most important fruits, uh, the fruits of love and joy. Uh, but today, we'll continue by looking at the next two fruits of peace and patience. Now, a few years ago, when I was studying French for fun, you know, there was nothing to do. It was the pandemic. You know, I was like, oh, man, maybe I'll just pick up a language. Who knows? Um, when, I was, when I was studying French, I, I was recommended a movie by one of my friends. Um, it's called, in French, it was a French movie called Des Hommes et de Dieu which translates into English as of gods and men. And this French movie is actually based off of a true story in 1996, um, where nine monks who were living in harmony in Algeria, uh, they were living amongst a, a population and a community of Muslims. And they practiced a very peaceful morning routine of morning prayer. They would gather together, they would share meals together, they would, they would pray together, um, and also, Amazingly enough, um, they also loved the community around them as well. Uh, they provided medical care, uh, medical assistance to the community. Um, and one of my favorite moments in, in the movie was, you know, there's this, there's this young girl, you know, the monks were out and about in, in, in the community, and there's this one, one little girl who comes up to the monks, because everyone loves, loves, loves these monks. This, this young girl, she came up to him, and she asked him, like, how do I tell this boy that I like him? <laughs> It was just such a heartwarming scene that, that the community and that these Christian monks had had such a wonderful bond despite their differences, despite the fact that, you know, they worship two different gods. And I think anyone here, you know, as, you, as you're watching, watching this movie, I think anyone of you guys would say, yeah, these Christian monks, they were living in peace. They were living in peace as a community of believers, but they're also living in peace with the larger community, with their neighbors. But the thing is, unfortunately, this movie does not have a, a very happy ending. It takes a pretty dark turn pretty quickly because, unfortunately, chaos was always lurking underneath the surface because in 1996, it was the midst of the Algerian Civil War. And so these people, these individuals, they're stuck between either extreme extremist terrorists or a very corrupt government. And all around them, basically, they saw violence was spreading and tensions were rising. And so facing this uncertainty of violence, of death, and of, you know, you know just awful tragedy, uh, the monks were basically left with two choices. Should they flee? Should they go back home to France? Or do they stay in the community that they have grown to love and ground the rest of their lives in creating peace and patiently bearing with the Muslim community? despite all the dangers, despite all the rumors of war. I think, you know, for us, it's, it's always easy to talk about peace when times are good, of course. But to commit ourselves to be peacemakers in the midst of tragedy and disaster, it really requires us to walk in God's peace, to walk in God's spirit. I think it's always easy to be patient when our circumstances are favorable, but can we patiently wait for God or even be patient in suffering with our fellow brothers and sisters during times of trials and uncertainties? Now, I said earlier, you know, this, this movie does 
not have a happy ending. And the unfortunate reality of this movie is that um, all the monks were actually killed um, in real life. The movie, they, they leave it as a cliffhanger, uh, but history tells us what actually happened. Uh, there's no happy ending to their story. Their peace and their patience did not result in victory, but that is actually what I find so inspiring about the story. You see, Christ's peace came to us through death, and although these monks knew that death was quickly coming, they still committed their lives to bringing peace to their community and even also to their enemies as well. And I think this is a type of peace that I want in my own life, that even if it does not lead to victory here on earth, it's still something that I want to commit my life to, to make peace. And I believe this is type of peacemaking is something that ultimately comes from our God. And so as we turn our eyes uh, just away from the movie for a moment and, and turn our eyes back to our passage. Also, if you guys have a chance, please watch that movie. It's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, as we turn our eyes back to our passage, we, we see the Apostle Paul, he begins to encourage um, the Colossian church to commit themselves to peace, to commit themselves to be patient with each other. Now, historically speaking, the, the Colossian church, it, it was known to be very multicultural with people from every culture, from every background, much like our church here today. And so when tensions rose amongst different groups, Paul wrote them this letter. And what I find so beautiful about this passage is that we begin to see that peace and patience are not just feelings that we have inside of us, but more importantly, these are things that we begin to display to one another. And so let's take a look at our passage today. And our passage today comes from Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can just flip there. Um, otherwise, it's on the screens as well. And reads, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which we talked about last week which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful above all. Now, before I go on to talk about the fruit of peace and of patience, um, I want to first talk about the concept of being God's chosen people, because I believe it's only through this concept of chosen people, of belonging to God, that we begin to actually develop these fruits. If we just take a look at, at verse 12, you still have your Bibles out. Paul starts off by, by stating this. Therefore, as God's chosen people. And what is important to understand is that being God's chosen people, being God's chosen son or being God's chosen daughter, it's not just an honorary title that we inherit, but it's actually a new and transformative identity that begins to reshape our ethical and our moral lives. I think it's an invitation into a new way of being, also uh, almost a metamorphosis, if you will, that redefines how we live and how we move in our worlds. And the idea of being chosen by God, it's, it's not necessarily new in Scripture, right? We see it in the Old Testament, where Israel was God's chosen people. However, what they fail to understand, and what Christianity heavily emphasizes on, is that being God's chosen people it's not about ethnic lineage. 
It's not about having the blood of Jews running in our veins. To be chosen by God means to be selected for a purpose. To be chosen by God means that you're selected for a purpose. That means out of all the people in this world, God has chosen you and has given you a divine calling. He has set you apart to do something special in this world. He has called you to be a representative of him in this world. And that is why God chose you. And so when we understand that being chosen by God means that we are set apart for a specific purpose, I think it begins to change how we orient our lives. Because if we're we're chosen by God, if we're we're God's representatives, we're no longer supposed to be self-centered. We're no longer driven by self-centered motives. We're no longer trying to live by the norms and the values of this world. Rather, we are steered, we are moved into adopting the values of God's kingdom. And that is something that the Spirit desires for all of us to do. That is something that the Spirit is already moving in your hearts to do. But at the same time, it's also critically important for us to respond appropriately to the Spirit's moving. And that's why if we, if we continue to look at verse 12, we see Paul say this. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, which means set apart and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There's an intentionality involved, an intentionality to work with the Holy Spirit in developing these virtues in our lives. These are the virtues that are worthy of someone who belongs to God and his kingdom. And I think we'll go a little bit more in depth in these virtues in the weeks to come. But what I hope that you're beginning to understand or that you're beginning to see is that these virtues are not just developed for ourselves, but these virtues are developed for us in the context of a community. I clothe myself with kindness because I need someone to be kind to. I can only be compassionate if I have someone to be compassionate to. I can only be humble, I mean, sorry, I can only be patient if I have someone to be patient towards. See, all of these virtues that God gives us are meant to be displayed in community. These are the virtues that glue us together, that bond us together in love within this church. But these are also the same virtues that allow us to display God's love to those outside of the church. And just like those Christian monks in Algeria, what good is it if we display love only to ourselves within this church? Christ has called them and he has called us to be a visible manifestation of the transformative power of the gospel to those who have yet to hear of Christ. You see, if those Algerian, if those French monks living in Algeria, if they were only called to love themselves or only called to love the church corporately, then they would have left. They would have went back to go to France. But the thing is, we are called to be the salt and the light of the world, where we reflect God's compassion, where we reflect God's kindness, God's humility, God's gentleness, and God's patience to non-believers. We are called to be peacemakers. As we take a look at at what it means to be a peacemaker, the Apostle Paul, he he first draws us to meditate on on what he says first in verse 15. And we'll actually see that peace has two functions. 
In the first half, we see Paul say this. He says to us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I think this is a very profound statement if, if we just pause for a moment, because the thing is, we all want to be peacemakers in this world, but in order for us to make peace, we have to be in a relationship with the true peacemaker, with our God. See, the thing in Christianity, the first thing we are taught is that through sin, there is now a separation between humanity and God. See, God in his perfect holiness, he cannot touch, he cannot be with unholy people. I remember back in the early 2000s, you know, I was, I was reading a news article about how, you know, when you go to restaurants and, and they give you, you know, these lemon wedges, um, apparently they're, they're quite heavily contaminated uh, with bacteria. No surprise there, right? There's, there's always bacteria on our food. But what really surprised me was that these bacteria that, that are <laughs> on the lemons, they actually come from uh, fecal matter, you know, like basically your poo which means that, unfortunately, people who are cutting those lemons are not washing their hands as well as they should, or maybe they're touching the doorknob on their way back into the kitchen. But to realize, for me at least, but to realize that there, there's like microscopic bacteria or, or maybe even like microscopic like fecal matter in the lemons that they put in our water, uh, it made me pause. Even, you see, even if the water was like 99.9999% clean, even with the understanding that there's like 0.00001% of poop particle floating somewhere in my water, um, I'm probably not going to drink that water, um, which is also why I never ask for lemons in my drink nowadays. Now, maybe I'm just a little crazy, but this is actually a very accurate depiction of God's holiness. Because God is perfectly good, because he's perfectly just, he cannot tolerate any amount of sin, even if it's 0.0000001%. But the thing is, God is not just a just God, but he's also a God of love. He's also a God of peace. He decides to become a peacemaker. And that's where we see in the New Testament that Christ came into the world to bring us peace. Not peace just in the sense of calmness, but peace between our sinful lives and the justice that God demands. Someone must pay the penalty for our sins and our wrongdoings. And Christ, as the ultimate peacemaker, he takes on that penalty. He dies in our place. He takes on the punishment for our wrongdoings. And so through Christ's death, we find the restoration of the most fundamental relationship that we can have as humans, the relationship with our Father, the relationship with God. Where we were once lost, and overcome with shame and guilt, through Christ's death, we are now reconciled with God. And through this act of peacemaking, we now have a direct union with our Creator. We're no longer seen as guilty, shameful sinners, but we are now seen as His own children, His chosen people, which we read earlier. And so when Paul tells us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, Paul is talking about the forgiveness of sins and a restoration of a relationship with our creator where he no longer judges us, but loves us. And when we experience this peace in our hearts and in our minds, the second half of the verse begins to make sense. Where in verse 15, he goes on to say this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace. 
if you look carefully at this verse, you, you actually see something unique, right? Paul doesn't say, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, singular, but your hearts, plural. That means that Paul is addressing the whole body of believers. And I believe this is where the peace of Christ takes on a very revolutionary character because it's not just about inner tranquility anymore, but it's about a communal peace, a peace that we enjoy together, a peace that we strive for constantly to develop harmony, to develop love for one another. You see, the body of Christ is a body where loving relationships are built, but it's also the same body where conflicts are resolved through love. The body of Christ, which is ruled by peace, is also a body where our divisions in this world are dropped because we are united in Christ. I think one of the greatest evils I, I have seen in the church, not in this church, but in the church in general, is where the body will fracture over political lines. And it's tragic for me, and I think it's frankly evil, because what it means for a church to be split amongst political lines, it means that I am more committed to my political party than I am committed to the Christian body. It means I'm more committed to creating division than I am committed to peacemaking. And you see, the current reality, unfortunately, is that the world is becoming increasingly polarized and divisions are running deeper. But if the peace of Christ rules in the church, then it's truly a beacon of peace for all people because it's finally a place that is genuinely ruled by love, a place where we can show the world that it's actually entirely possible to disagree without being disagreeable. It's entirely possible to have diverse opinions without being divided. At this point, you might think, well, Pastor Brandon, you know, that sounds you know, awfully fantastic. But how do we do this? How do we develop this sort of love? And I think the secret is found in the fourth fruit of the spirits, the fruit of patience. And we see the secret in, in, in verse 13. In verse 13, Apostle Paul, he exhorts us to, with this. He says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I think when we, when we hear the words from Paul, uh, to bear with each other. I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is like, I just got to tolerate you guys. But that's actually not the case at all. It is in my opinion, at least, to realize that we are actually all works in progress. To bear with one another is to realize that we are all works in progress. During this week, I, I was reading John chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 11. I was reading it with the congregants. Um, and that's the story where Jesus asked the Pharisees that whoever is without sin, you can cast the first stone against the woman who is caught in adultery. And I think when we realize that we personally cannot cast that stone because we are still with sin, we realize that we too are works in progress, just like the other person. And so if we are works in progress, then what right do we have to judge? Now, does this mean that we turn a blind eye to their faults? Of course not. But what we begin to see through, uh, when we begin to, what we begin to see is that we begin to see others through a lens of compassion. This is a type of patience that is born out of love. I have a fellow brother in Christ. He, you know, one of his, one of his quirks <laughs> is that he always tries to grab attention for himself. 
maybe we all know someone like that. Maybe that's ourselves included. Um, so sometimes he would just try to insert himself into the conversation, which is oftentimes pretty harmless. But other times he would insult others or insult me in order to get the attention of others. Now, should he correct his behavior? Absolutely. But how do we do this in a way that fosters peace through patience? That's a critical question. How do we do this in a way that fosters peace through patience? When I see that his faith, as well as my faith, is still a work in progress, I realize that first, hey, we all operate from a place of brokenness. None of us are perfect. But as I begin to display love through patience, I seek to compassionately understand why he does what he does. And I understand and see that all he really wants is to be heard. All he really wants is to be appreciated. And these are good desires, to be appreciated, to be heard. And so we talk about it. We work through these things together. We try to figure out how to express his desire for attention and appreciation in a more healthy way. But to do this, it requires me to enter into his life, and it requires me to walk alongside him in his faith journey. And this is far different from how most people handle difficult situations, right? On the bad side, when we are insulted, we might insult the other person back in order to stand our ground, in order to validate our pride and to make him see that what he's doing is wrong. But that doesn't create peace. It only creates division. Not as bad, but still not good. Maybe sometimes we turn a blind eye. We, we laugh it off as if, you know, it's not a problem. It's, 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 it's all good. We sweep it under the rug. But that, too, is not making peace. We're just keeping things from blowing up. But when we seek to understand our brothers and sisters through a lens of compassion, that requires a patience born out of love. Because that is a type of love where we not only tolerate their sin, but we bear the weight of their sin with them. We enter into their lives, we take on their sufferings so that we can work on it together. And that is what it means to truly bear with each other to bear alongside each other. And when we realize that we can actually bear our shortcomings together, I realize that I'm beginning to fulfill the second half of the verse. I am forgiving just as Christ forgave me because Christ came into my life when I was the most broken. Christ bore the weight of my sin and he died in my place. Christ sent the Spirit within me to guide me into Christ's likeness. And so if this is how Christ demonstrates his patient love, if this is how Christ demonstrates his forgiveness, then let me do the same for you. Let me come alongside you. Let me forgive you. Let me bear with you with your shortcomings so that together we can grow stronger, so that together we can push each other on into Christ-likeness. This is peace. This is a peace that is born out of genuine, loving patience. And so brothers and sisters, as, as we come to the end of our sermon, I want to encourage us to develop these fruits within us, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the body. I think that it's 
important to experience the peace of God, but I think it's, it's equally important to make peace in the world as well, to make peace here in this church, but also outside with your friends, with your family, with those who have yet to know Christ, to show them that there's actually a different way to live. I think we ought to develop a patience within us, a willingness to bear alongside others, just as those Franciscan monks in Algeria were willing to patiently bear with their Muslim friends. And so, brothers and sisters, why don't we pray for these things? Why don't we pray for God's Spirit to continue to grow in us so that we can be peacemakers out there in the world? So I invite you all, why don't you just join me for a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you first that you've created peace with us. Uh, we thank you that you have redeemed us as your chosen people. And Father, what, what an honor it is to be, to be called your very own children. What an honor it is to be loved just as you loved Christ. And Lord, we are beyond thankful knowing that you have stepped into our world to bear our sin and to bear our shortcomings. On the cross, you have paid the penalty for all of our wrongdoings. And through the cross, we've been forgiven. And so, Father, as, as we start a new week, let us pick up our own cross. Let us create peace with others just as you created peace with us. And through forgiveness and through patience, Father, let us bear alongside one another and to seek their good just as you have sought the good for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.